Let us pray. God, we come to be your church. We come to marvel at the majesty of your creation. We come to be held by your embrace because vast as the galaxies are, you are mindful even of us in our moments of great joy, in our moments of deep sadness. We come to be your church because we are here not only to worship you, but as you have commanded to serve one another. Grant us all we need to fulfill that calling so that our lives reflect your image in whom we are made. As we pray in the spirit of Jesus the Christ who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Good morning and welcome to worship. Grace and peace to you. And also a greeting to our live stream folks. Thanks for joining us for worship. Please take a moment and sign the friendship pad, passing it down the pew and back to its starting place, greeting those around you after worship. We have an all church picnic this afternoon at 5 p.m., 5 p.m. to 7 at Andrews Park. Uh, bring your uh, side dishes and your lawn chairs and come join us at Andrews Park uh, at 5 o'clock this afternoon. You have a bulletin insert that service opportunities within the life of our congregation. Please indicate your interests as we serve together in ministry. This is Open Membership Sunday. Please come forward during the postlude at the end of the worship service if you would like to join First Christian Church and you will be welcomed up front. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing some red this morning, and uh, that means something. It's our mission trip commissioning, and uh, if you're part of that, please come forward and also find your bulletin insert.
so we do share in our mission trip commissioning for these 38, most of whom are here this morning, who will be leaving on uh, early, early in the morning, uh, 4 a.m., I believe, is that sa Saturday, Friday, uh, to go to Puerto Rico to serve. And so we share in our mission trip commissioning on the insert in your worship bulletin. When asked which commandment in the law is the greatest, Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As you embark on this trip that puts faith in action, these twin statements converge as one. As you travel to be fully, physically, spiritually, and mentally present with others in a different place and circumstance as yourself, you express a love of God with your whole self. As you learn and grow from the experience, your neighbor's life becomes entwined with yours. It is a love by God that will not let us go. And so we share in your covenant statements and our covenant statements with you. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. We go to experience God in new and powerful ways. Love God, love neighbor. We go so we can come back empowered to work for a just world for all. As you go, we go with you, awed by God's wonder, present with our prayers, changed by your commitment and empowered to work together upon your return for a just world for all. And indeed, our prayers go with you. I hope you will take this list home with you. It has the names of everyone who is serving, and remember all these in their good work and in your prayers as we share part of who First Christian Church of Norman is with those who have need. So may God's grace, God's peace, and God's love go with you. Amen. Thank you.
Please be seated. The witness of Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.
To say the least, it has been an excruciatingly agonizing week in the life of this church and in each of our lives. For the shock, fear, anger, grief, and every other emotion imaginable are likely no less powerful today than one week ago. As promised in last week's sermon, the framework for moving in these days has been established and is being followed, and it will continue to be so. At the conclusion of last Sunday's sermon, the last paragraph offered these words. Going forward, we will be striving to find our balance. That this has shaken our foundations is obvious. So we must operate in two lanes all at the same time. On the one hand, we must deal fully and completely with all our concerns and questions, as has already been affirmed. On the other hand, we must never lose sight of the ministry God is calling us to embody still on Christ's behalf. There are still the hungry to be fed. There are still the homeless to be housed. There are still the thirsty who need a drink of water. There are still those in tattered clothes who need a decent pair of shoes. There are still those who are strangers and feel alone and who need the hospitality of Christ's table. There are still those who are imprisoned either in a building or in their own souls or know someone who is and who need compassionate care. That we are currently dealing with this terrible news in this church and deal with it we will does not mean we are any less responsible for caring for those whom Jesus said he resides in. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the unclothed, the sick, the imprisoned. Jesus said, this is our ministry, and that has not changed. Jesus calls us to this good work of redemption and healing, and on Pentecost Sunday, particularly last week's Pentecost Sunday, we commit ourselves to this redemptive, restorative, reconciling work in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. With those words in mind, this past week has been spent almost exclusively in that lane which has been responsive to our crisis and its many questions, and that is as it should be. However, that has left less time for Sunday's preparation of a sermon. But perhaps that makes room for the real sermon. Because you see, the real sermon is on display in front of us this morning. The real sermon, it's in these 38 people who are giving of their lives to serve on mission next week in Puerto Rico. There, there's our sermon. Look at the words that we have proclaimed in our commissioning to be present with one another and with those who host us, 
to make a change for good in our lives and in the lives of others, to experience God in new and powerful ways, to come back from mission empowered to work for, just, for a just world for all. There's our sermon. Look at the time, the energy, the financial resources given by all of you who are going on mission and all of us who are supporting you in this work with similar gifts of time and energy and finances. There's our sermon. The best sermon the church can ever proclaim is the church embodying love and care for the world God so loves. It's not that words spoken are unimportant. Our words are profoundly important because as was revealed in the first chapters of Genesis, so it is still true today, our words have both life-giving and life-denying power. But as the author of the letter James has written, faith by itself without works is dead. Which is to say that the life of faith is fully alive when our words match our works. The old saying that it is better to see a sermon than hear a sermon is particularly poignant today. And the sermon this church proclaims today in our commissioning of these 38 disciples, it's not a sermon that we made up. We're copying a sermon. It's a sermon that Jesus preached almost 2,000 years ago. Matthew's Gospel records that sermon. and We recognize that where that sermon was preached is important. To whom it was said is important, and what was said still matters today. We realize that Jesus' sermon was not preached from a grand temple nor from an ornate cathedral. Yes, it was on a mountain, according to Matthew, which makes sense to most everyone who has ever stood at any height where thoughts of wonder and beauty and transcendence and mystery come unbidden. We know logically we are no closer to God on a mountaintop than at sea level, but something about that perspective seems to open us to the sacred. And yet we note that this particular high place is located in Galilee which is to say a rather ordinary place in the geographic and political world of Jesus's day. Jesus meets 11 disciples there because Judas is no longer alive. Matthew's gospel does not give us much about Jesus's resurrected life. We have the story on the day of resurrection when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb only to find it empty, the earth quaking, and the soldiers all but unconscious. In that moment, 
the two Marys are instructed to go to the disciples and tell them what has happened. Go, therefore, is the commissioning word. And as these women are on the road back to Galilee, thanks to the angels sending, Jesus meets them and they worship him. That sequence is important because mission follows worship. We never go for ourselves. We never go on our behalf. We only go in the context of worship and in the grace of Christ's sending. Jesus gives to Mary and Mary what might be his second most frequently spoken phrase, do not be afraid. And then he commissions them. Go therefore, Jesus tells Mary and Mary, the first preachers of resurrection, according to Matthew, and they do. We are here today because Mary Magdalene and the other Mary spoke up. Matthew reminds us that with every great commission, there are innumerable smaller commissions where people have embraced Christ's command to go, therefore. Matthew tells us that Jesus meets 11 disciples on this unnamed mountain and as with the two Marys, the first act is worship. We noticed both numbers and that gathered congregation on that mountain. There were 11, and today we commissioned 38. It's a testimony that the work of those first two women commissioned then led to 11 more being commissioned, and today our commissioned disciples number more than three times the original. The good news of Christ's commissioning, even in a world that seems less interested in anything Christ-like, is that his good purpose calls exponentially more and more people. And we are a living witness to that good sermon today. And we notice that those 11 gathered on that mountain are not of the same mind among themselves or even within themselves. Matthew says, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's how it reads in our Bible, but its original translation is better rendered, they worshiped him, and they doubted. That's a most remarkable statement because what he is saying is that Christ does not need us to have all our questions of faith figured out. He does not need us to have our dogmas determined and our credo correct. Christ commissions people to be his hands and his feet, his heart and his minds with our imperfect faith and our unanswered questions. It calls to mind how Madeline Engel once responded when asked if she believed in God without any doubt, to which she answered, I believe in God 
with all my doubts. They worshiped and they doubted. And Christ sends them anyway because he does not need our faith to be worked out. He needs our faith to be love outworking. So go, therefore. And what is said is important. Matthew says that Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which is a stunning kind of claim to make when it's Caesar who sits on the throne. But what the disciples then knew and what disciples know now is that the kind of authority with which Jesus rules is not with sword, loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drum, but with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes, as Ernest Shirtleff wrote in his 1887 hymn. Jesus tells the 11 then and the 38 today to go and make disciples. And how we hear that word make is what makes all the difference. Fred Craddock has written, some people misread that word make as though Jesus is commanding his followers to coerce people into becoming disciples. That's not what it means. It means simply disciple everybody. It's a verb. Disciple people. Okay. How do you disciple people? The same way Jesus did. He loved them. He blessed them. He helped them. And some of them did not care. But you don't get huffy and mad about that. Jesus gives people room to say no, because if you don't have room to say no, yes doesn't mean a thing. Making disciples is done without any kind of pushing and pressuring. It's done by giving people room. Jesus said, I want you to be this way with everybody in the world. Just as Jesus commissioned those 11 that day on that mountain in Galilee, so we commission you 38 this day on the plains in Norman. Go, therefore, and disciple people. Love them. Bless them. Help them. Because that's what Jesus said to do. By the authority with which, with which he rules. Power. Power that does not coerce, dominate, and threaten, but power that heals, empowers, and liberates. It's not lost on any of us that the word commission literally means to mission with, which is to say we work with each other, and more importantly, we work with Christ. We are Christ's co-missionaries because to be commissioned is to be entrusted with Christ's loving and redemptive work. And it is not lost on any of us 
that the pattern of commissioning as told in Matthew's gospel is also the pattern we follow each Sunday in worship. We, either, we are gathered into this place as those gathered to that mountain 2,000 years ago where we worship with prayer and proclamation by sharing and communion. Then, and only then, are we sent into the world. And so, as sign and expression of our faith, we commission these 38 today. However, we miss the fullness of Matthew's gospel story if we think it is only these 38 who are commissioned today. The good news proclaimed this Sunday and every Sunday is that every one of us has been met by Jesus. Every one of us stands before Jesus. And every one of us is sent into the world to disciple people. Today, we remember. We remember, as Jesus said long ago to those disciples then, so he says again to we who are disciples now. Go, therefore, 